The Water Values Podcast, Session 40. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As Joey said, I'm Dave McGimsey. Thanks for joining me. I hope you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving and were able to spend it with family and friends. For my family, we had two other families over and spent the day watching football and eating way too much food. Well, today's podcast is the final interview conducted from the National Association of Water Companies Water Summit in Fort Lauderdale back in October. Thanks again to Michael Dean, Mary Beth Leangini, and the rest of the NAWC team for their assistance in getting these interviews done. Mark Le Chevalier, American Water's Director for Innovation and Environmental Stewardship, joins us to discuss a range of issues. He'll discuss a number of technologies and scientific breakthroughs and how American Water is putting those to better use to serve its customers. He also discusses where we're going to find our water in the future and how we're going to treat it. With that said, let's get on with it. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Sure. I grew up in uh, Oregon, and so water was always something very uh, close. But I think my um, childhood uh, heroes were Jacques Cousteau. And, uh, and Lloyd Bridges uh, in the Sea Hunt. Lloyd could uh, 30 minutes do scuba diving and, and have a, a wonder, wondrous adventure. So I think I wanted to be a marine biologist and scuba dive. You know, my career now, um, uh, my training is in microbiology and I've done research in drinking water for 30 years and I've gone snorkeling a couple times. So I, I think that's probably pretty close to my childhood uh, a- ambitions. Uh, water has been a great career to work in. Uh, there are fascinating scientific questions as well as very practical service to, um, to the customers um, that we provide water to. Well, my um, title is uh, Director of Innovation and Environmental Stewardship for American Water. So American Water is the largest investor-owned utility. We operate in over 30 states and parts of Canada, uh, water and wastewater services. We also treat uh, wastewater for reuse. We operate desalination plants. So uh, it's practically everything around water uh, falls into that. So I lead our research group. I have a team of scientists uh, looking at water-related research questions from water quality to new technologies to uh, providing better service. I have a smaller team on wastewater, but fascinating questions around wastewater technology. Uh, We've done uh, a fair amount of our research now on reuse, so that's treating wastewater to a very high level and then finding beneficial uses. So rather than have it go in the stream or out to the ocean, you know, we have that water. Why not? Why not use that in a beneficial way? And then, and then desalination. Um, the future of water availability. We have a we have, you know, we have a world of oceans, and yet that water is too salty to be used for uh, drinking water. So, can we find technologies that would uh, better allow us to tap that water and provide it uh, for drinking and for agriculture? Sure. I think that's a fantastic sense. 
Well, the advancements in technology uh, are really across the board, both not only in technology to better treat the water. Um, you know, some would say that the technology we use for drinking water are old. They've been in some of the basis of that has been in, in place since the 1800s uh, when, f when sand filters were first used to filter out water. Uh, chemicals used to treat it. Disinfection, we just celebrated uh, over 100 years of, um, of um, disinfecting drinking water. Prior to that, uh, outbreaks of cholera and typhoid were common uh, and really are unheard of today. But even the new technologies are allowing us to operate that more efficiently. Investments in computerization and automation and processing that data to make uh, faster and better decisions around uh, water. And certainly uh, uh, technologies that allow us to do better analysis of water. Uh, now we can find chemicals down in the parts per quadrillion. Um, so we're a lot smarter about water uh, today than we were just a few years ago. Our technology spans the entire spectrum from technology to treat the water, um, sensors and analytical, um, to uh, technology to help us better manage the, uh, the data. For example, uh, one that we are uh, just piloting right now is uh, uh, a technology from Israel that would uh, allow us to better manage pressure in the distribution system. So the pipe that delivers water to your house has to be pressurized, um, and um, there are valves that control that pressure. Um, so we are changing those valves from being essentially dumb, dumb valves, they always maintain the same pressure, to be programmable valves. So, for example, in the middle of the night, when people aren't using the water, uh, the pressure in the system typically goes up. Now, that increases the amount of leakage that could put stresses on pipes to cause them to break. That's why you always have main breaks at you know, 2 o'clock in the morning on Saturday, Saturday um, uh, morning. So now we can program it to step down the pressure. Why have so much pressure when people don't need it? So one example of you know, automating that, that process. It's interesting that for drinking water, you can understand that water is heavy. It's eight, eight, over eight pounds a gallon, and so it takes a lot of energy to uh, deliver that water to your house. A, a family of four, on average, uses about 250 gallons a day. At eight pounds, that's 2,000. That's a ton of water that the water company delivers to your house every day. So forget about the fact that you need it for you know to drinking, life-giving. Uh, and it, you know, and the pressure and the purity of the water. The water utility simply is a delivery f uh, a business of delivering a ton of stuff to your house. But wastewater uses as much energy as drinking water. But when you flush the toilet, most of that water typically flows by gravity. Um, there are some pump stations that have to pump it. But wastewater uses as much energy as uh, drinking water. But most of that energy is in the treatment process, so it's very energy intensive. 
and a lot of that energy used is to put air in the wastewater to allow the microbes to break down the contaminants. So you're just spending a lot of energy to blow air into, into wastewater. Um, and so we're looking at technologies that would um, purify wastewater at, less ox at lower oxygen levels. We've discovered uh, a type of bacteria called um, an archaea. Uh, an archaea is, is Latin for ancient. So this is an ancient organism um, that was around when the earth first formed when there wasn't much oxygen. And uh, we've discovered that this organism is in present in oceans and in soils. It wasn't even recognized in 2005. We're now utilizing that organism to help us treat wastewater at 50% at amount uh, less energy than the conventional wastewater treatment plant. So it ends up saving a lot of energy and, of course, uh, an improvement in wa uh, wastewater quality. Well, reuse is interesting because the types of reuse are 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 broad. Uh, you could have just barely purified wastewater. You could put it on land, uh, like for growing trees, Christmas trees, for example. Uh, you're not even going to go touch that till like a year later, so that water doesn't have to be particularly pure. Other water that's used on parks has to be purified because people might come into contact. And, um, and in parts of Texas and, and uh, Arizona, California, some of that water is being very highly treated uh, back so that it meets drinking water, actually exceeds drinking water standards. It's, it's better than, uh, uh, it's highly purified. And uh, so reuse is this whole spectrum of different um, uh, water qualities, but the potential now to think about treating wastewater at a very high level is already a reality in Wichita Falls, Texas. They're in a drought. They basically had no more water. Uh, so they're taking half of the flow of the wastewater treatment plant, putting it through very advanced treatment, and mixing it with what available water is for drinking water. Um, uh, communities like in San Diego are considering the same thing, uh, other parts of Texas. The drought in the uh, southwest has really made us look at those supplies and say, well, why are we wasting it? Do we have the technology to provide the same kind of or better purification process than Mother Nature does naturally? And we can control that and manage that and manage that resource to benefit communities. Right. Those technologies are almost always more expensive than the existing water. So it's not, it's not really fair to compare the cost of that water to your current rates because all the easy to use available water has already been used. And so when you're in a, in a situation like in Texas and California where you're in a drought, um, you have to look at the next available source of water. And that typically is either desalination or treatment of, of reuse. The, the types of technologies are very advanced for both. Um, but it becomes cheaper to treat the wastewater than it is to try to remove the salt from seawater. And um, so it, it is more expensive. But um, it comes down to, well, what other alternatives do you have? And frequently, you don't have any other alternative. Uh, so 
there's not just one way to do genome in that study. What are some of the, the ways to do it, and how is technology shaping how DCNAs are being considered? Well, worldwide, uh, desalination technology uh, uh, is, uh, is varied. Um, the technology that's commonly used, like for instance in the Middle East, where they have lots of energy, lots of oil, they'll heat the water and essentially distill that uh, to remove the salts. But uh, in North America, the technology for desalination is usually a membrane-based um, technology. So uh, you essentially push water through a membrane that only has pores that would allow water molecules to get through and reject the salts. Uh, but putting that amount of pressure onto the membranes is very energy in intensive. Um, less so than in the Middle East, but uh, uh, so that's the kind of technology you find. And we operate the, um, currently the largest desalination plant. We operate under contract for the Tampa Bay um, Water Authority. And uh, we also operate a smaller system in, uh, in California. We're in the process of building still another third. So the basic technology, the membrane, um, is, uh, is pretty much standard. What we find are the opportunities is to pre-treat the water because that membrane will become fouled. Microbes will grow on it, chemicals might precipitate on it, and that increases the operating costs, decreases the life of that membrane. And so our research has been focusing on how do we treat that water before it gets to the membrane to allow it to be more efficient in, uh, in removing those salts. It's uh, been an, a fascinating um, area because the, the technologies you use for fresh water don't automatically translate to seawater. When we look at the uh, trajectory of acceptance of that um, technology uh, in Israel, for example, or in Spain, or in parts of Australia, all areas that are very water scarce. Uh, for many years, the technology was available, but had to get through all of the uh, engineering permitting, the regulatory approvals, the public acceptance. And then once they had a number of those in place, then the acceptance of the technology took off, and it took off exponentially. I think we're much in that same early phase here in the United States. Desalination is more expensive than alternatives, but eventually when there are no other alternatives, we'll, we'll turn to that. The other change in technology is the potential around uh, nanotechnology to develop better membranes that would only allow water molecules to go through um, and uh, at lower pressures. After all, uh, nature does this without high pressure pumps. Um, and, and, uh, and so there's a, a large move towards looking at trying to replicate um, natural systems in our engineered uh, treatment plants. Um, so there's some exciting um, developments uh, in the membrane technology. They're still probably, you know, 5, 10, maybe 20 years away. But eventually that will become um, uh, worked out. We'll have that availability. And when we can desalinate uh, uh, seawater, then water will become plentiful if you're at a coastal area. Um, so it, it has its niche, er, er, you know, for certain cities. So if you're living in... Omaha, it's probably not going to be the technology of choice for you there. So we have to look at a variety of different means of providing those water supplies. I know this is a little outside your area, but um, you mentioned Omaha. Do you see a day when 
when these inland cities are going to be participating in ESOL payments in order to essentially use the water that would otherwise have been used by the person putting the payment in order to we certainly need to have a national water policy, and that's probably the other part that's most lacking. Uh, water up to now has been generally plentiful and of good quality. And so, and, and the other part is that, you know, a river doesn't usually stay within one political jurisdiction. So we need to do uh, a better job at managing our water supplies among different states, among uh, different uh, basins, and doing that kind of trading. We're not there yet. And the Army Corps engineers does some with uh, you know, the, the series of dams along some of our major rivers. Um, but still, water is fragmented among um, more than 20 different federal agencies. And, and drinking water is provided by over 52,000 uh, water systems, community water utilities in the United States, and, and wastewater, 15,000. So um, we need to get more consolidated for sure. And looking at this as a precious resource that we really need to better manage holistically for communities. The other challenge on for inland is that some places, surprisingly, there is salt water available. Some of the aquifers are really very saline, so they're not used for drinking water now. But if we could tap that and remove the salt, um, that could be another source of water. The problem is the brine stream. So even um, an efficient desal plant, let's say 90% of the water is treated and ends up being drinking water quality, you have 10% of the water now that is a concentrated salt brine. And, and where are you going to put that when communities use you know, 100, 200 million gallons a day? You're still talking about 20, 30 million gallons of a highly salt water. So that really right now, the whole problem with inland desalination is what do we do with that brine stream? Um, one could concentrate it down, but again, that's you, you're in back into the uh, distillation technology, and that's very expensive. The energy to evaporate water is, is, uh, is a very high cost. And then what are you going to do with all that salt? Uh, it's a lot of salt on your french fries. Uh, we simply can't. Uh, 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 one does the calculation and say we'll just be simply a, a wash in, in piles of salt. Last thing for question, Mark. That, was, that question was right in the uh, <laughs> Fundamentally, the problem with water is that it's not valued. It you know, falls from the sky. People think you put it in a pipe, and magically it appears at, at the tap. Uh, first of all, water is the universal solvent, so contaminant, it will dissolve. Um, actually, uh, contaminants even in the air will concentrate it. Uh, flowing down the, uh, the sidewalk, it picks up um, contaminants from uh, automobile emissions and, and uh, um, other uh, contaminants uh, dissolve uh, natural minerals like uh, arsenic from um, the soil and uh, or uh, dissolve um, the pipes so you get iron or copper or lead from the pipe materials. So um, don't recognize one the importance of water, um, uh, the value of it, 
um, or the complexity that it takes to treat water and deliver it to your house. So we really have to start with um, an appreciation and importance of, of water that, that's just, um, it's, it's lacking in our, in our population. We simply have taken it too much for granted. Uh, utilities have been too efficient in providing that so that in the middle of the night, you don't really give a second thought to going in the bathroom, turning on the tap, and taking a drink of water. It's going to be there. It's going to be safe. It, it doesn't keep you up at night. You go back to, to bed. And, and yet, though, that, kind, that present reality is changing in parts of the country where water scarcity is becoming a reality, and that's going to continue to uh, improve as we see the issues around the variability of climate change, uh, as well as um, additional contamination of water supplies from growing population and growing water demands. It is a, an exciting area that is developing. Um, we have recently uh, implemented some new technologies that will allow us to read uh, all the water meters with a single kind of approach. Previously, different vendors had their own proprietary software that became a, bar uh, a barrier. Now we can read all the meters and consolidate that to one, um, one file that allows us to take that information and leverage that to our customers um, in, a, in, a, in a more efficient way. So, and, and just so I understand, why is it that Americans only have multiple brands of meters? Well, we operate in thir over 30 different states and, and serve you know, over 1,000 uh, different communities. So over the years, different technologies had been developed and some of the systems we acquired over that time period had different legacy. So you have that challenge of having something that's so large but um, and, and, and the state of the technology is different in different areas. So it's simply bringing everybody into a common platform was the, the first part. Now the next part is taking that information and leveraging that. For example, we can see now uh, when we read a meter that that meter had never stopped over the last 30 days. That tells us that there is a leak on the customer side. So we can take that and flag that information now and either have a customer service agent or maybe send an email or say, dear customer, we see that your meter was constantly flowing. That tells us you probably have a leak on your, your side of the system. We want to help you stop that leak so you don't end up with a really large uh, water bill. It can be. We're certainly moving towards uh, a future where we can uh, uh, interact with the meter on a more frequent basis. So a customer calls us um, at one of our uh, customer call centers. The uh, a service agent then can pull up their computer of the customer account, and at the same time, it's sending a signal out and reading the meter at that exact point uh, so we can better serve 
the customer, we have that information. Uh, that technology is at the forefront and we do have that in uh, a number of systems. The other way to do that is that the, the meter actually records the reading every 15 minutes, even though we may download it once a month when we go to generate the water bills. So we can go back and start to access that information that hadn't been previously done because with uh, 3.3 million accounts that American Water handles, having every 15 minute uh, data for every 15 minutes of, of water usage is a huge amount of information. So some of the other innovations are being able to handle such large pieces of data, uh, manipulate that in a way that we can better serve and analyze that data so we can better serve our customers. And how about things like um, apps or you know, smartphone integrations into customer machine? Do you see much of that? There is, that is an area of emerging technology. So again, once we get the information and we can process that, how do we make it more available to the customer? So we're seeing um, uh, ability for customers to, to serve them uh, on, on web, web interfaces and uh, exploring technologies now that would be able to make that available through um, you know, smart smartphone apps as, as well. I think we'll see that uh, start to emerge in the next couple of years. Um, the question is, uh, you know, do customers want to know their water, uh, check their um, water uh, usage as frequently as they do their Facebook page? In some areas, the answer is yes, because water rates and water shortages means that that water is expensive and they do want to uh, keep track of that. Other areas, uh, maybe not so. So it's um, important that um, we continue to advance uh, technologies that allow us to better serve those customers and meet the needs that they have. I think that is key to uh, customers realizing the value of that water. And so when they can see it more real in their everyday lives, when they can think about you know, where it comes from and how do they manage that to become more of a reality. As we have a younger generation that is more concerned around uh, you know, energy use and natural resources, the other part is that we've been largely talking about drinking water or even wastewater. Uh, we tap into the whole notion that water is important for quality of life, for um, aesthetics. Uh, we like to have a lake or a pond. It's important for businesses. It's important for transportation. It's important for generation energy. Once we really start to understand that value of water, we open our eyes to a larger reality uh, that we live on a, a, a water planet and managing that resource is, uh, is critical for our quality of life and uh, for the quality of our planet. Very well said. Um, well, Mark, here's where the rubber meets the road. Technology's great, but if you can't get it recovered in waste, there's no way the utility is going to implement it. What, what are you seeing out there in terms of you know, technology adoption and, and gaining weight with technology? What are the issues um, you're having to address with technology adoption? 
We look at technology as a way to allow us to better serve our customers, and frequently that means that the technology allow us to do something, you know, better, faster, and and more affordable for the the customer at a better quality of service, a more higher level of real uh, of of reliability, and so we're finding lots of opportunities where that technology. Uh, it can make us more efficient. We've kind of touched on um, either using less energy, preventing the amount of water leaking out of a pipe, for example. All of that results in cost savings. So we're really at a point now, and we're frequently looking at technology to say, okay, what's the business case around that? Why would we ex uh, uh, investigate and uh, adopt this technology? And the ones that are most exciting are the ones that say, well, hey, we do this um, we can be more efficient and we can um, serve our customers. Reduction of that operating costs for us means that we can take that money that we're saving in operations and invest that in needed uh, investments in infrastructure. You know, we have uh, the pipes in the ground uh, are, are old and they're in need of um, uh, to be re rehabilitated and replaced. And so we can find that that operational efficiency allows us to redirect uh, those uh, funds to improve infrastructure without having to increase the rates to the customer. So we really see our, the necessity for utilities to become more efficient uh, so they can um, make the necessary improvements without having to put that burden on the customer alone. Sure, they can uh, uh, find us on the uh, on the web at, at amwater.com and uh, also uh, follow us and like us on Facebook. Thanks very much, Mike. Really appreciate your time. Thanks. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Mark Le Chevalier. He was absolutely fantastic and relayed a lot of great information. There were lots of takeaways in this one, and I'll mention two and have uh, a lot to say about each of them. Uh, first is the use of a smart water network to minimize main breaks. One of Mark's first comments concerned using a technology that manages distribution system pressure and ramps it down during non-peak periods. Well, by lowering that distribution system pressure during those non-peak periods, you're going to get fewer main breaks. And this extends the life of infrastructure, which is as important for new infrastructure as it is for the older infrastructure, by not taxing the newer infrastructure as much with overly high pressures during these non-peak periods, that infrastructure should have a longer life. And as for the older infrastructure, if you've listened to this podcast at all, you know that the U.S. has a lot of old infrastructure that needs to be replaced and that the rate of replacement is not keeping up. So by reducing the stress on that infrastructure that's already stressed by old age, Hopefully, it buys us some time to get that infrastructure replaced. I'd also note that so much of a smart water ne network is focused on the customers, and, and Mark did a great job addressing the, the customer-centric point uh, as well. But one example is that customers can look up their consumption in real time. And with those types of benefits, uh, you know, sometimes these non-customer-centric benefits of a smart water network are overlooked. Of course, the smart water net network would have to be designed from the get-go to handle multiple capabilities like, as you know, as Mark said, using the valves to depressurize the system or detecting transmission and distribution main leaks. 
But I think it's important to note that the smart water network can provide significant benefits beyond those just readily seen by a customer. Uh, my second my second takeaway is the future of desalination. Uh, Mark first identified several technologies, distillation and membrane technologies that are used for desalination. He pointed out that in energy-rich countries like the Middle East, distillation is typically used, and in other parts of the world, membrane technologies are uh, the, the current technological favorite. Um, then he discussed how nanotechnology is improving membranes and the movement uh, to replicate natural systems is taking hold in treatment plants. And one of the big obstacles for desalination, especially for inland desalination, um, you know, of, of saline aquifers, for example, is the brine stream that's created and how we're going to use all, this, all of that salty discharge. All in all, he indicated that we've still got some research and development needed before the membrane technologies are really perfected, but we're well on our way to getting there. Well, you can check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 41. Leave a comment on the show notes or email me at david at thewatervalues.com. You can also tweet at me at DTM1993, and you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues. And don't forget to rate and please review the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and other podcast directories. And please don't forget to tell your friends and colleagues about the podcast and sign up for the Water Values newsletter which can be done at thewatervalues.com. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. Listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Thank you for tuning into the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Colorado and Indiana, and this podcast does not establish an attorney client relationship with you or anyone else. And information in this podcast should not be considered legal advice. Further, this podcast is not a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer who finds water issues interesting and who believes greater public education about water issues is necessary. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.